live from here in New York. I'm Azane Ash, into my colleague Julia Chatterley, and here is what you need to know. December jobs report, the U.S. economy added 145,000 jobs last month, missing the estimate. And searching for answers, the U.S. and allies increasingly believe that Iran shot down a Ukrainian Airlines plane. And more trouble for Boeing, damaging internal documents about the 737 MAX have been released. It is Friday, my friends, and this is First Move. All right, welcome to First Move. I'm Dane Ash. It's so good to have you with us on this Friday morning local time. U.S. stock futures are on track for a flat to modestly higher open this Friday. Take a look there. The Dow futures look up only about 20 points or so, so pretty much flat. Investors right now are digesting a weaker than expected U.S. jobs report. Stocks begin today's session at record highs, though, and it looks as though we'll see stocks move further into record territory in early trading today. That said, stocks have lost some of their gains pre-market this past half hour. Taking a look at uh, U.S. jobs numbers just came in about 30 minutes or so ago. The U.S. added about 145,000 jobs last month. Analysts were expecting a jobs growth of around 164,000. So the numbers coming in slightly less than uh, expected. And the numbers are also much weaker than the 256,000 jobs added in November. November gains, by the way, were boosted in part, not entirely, but in part by the end of that six-week-long GM strike. Meantime, the U.S. unemployment rate is steady at 3.5%. The jobless rate remains at a 50-year low. Stocks rose to record highs on Thursday amid signs that the U.S. and Iran were pulling back from a wider military confrontation. The Nasdaq closed above 9,200 for the first time ever. And the Dow is coming very, very close right now to hitting 29,000 for the very first time, too. New challenges await the markets next week, however. We've got fourth quarter earnings season beginning with major U.S. financial institutions reporting. Jobs report is our main driver today, though. Uh, Paul Monica joins us live now. So, Paul, walk us through this. 145,000 jobs added. Slightly less than expected in terms of uh, what analysts had been anticipating, which was 164,000 jobs added. Uh, we had been expecting a deceleration in December, but just as you sift through the numbers, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that obviously it is disappointing, Zane, that we had a sharper pullback from those really strong November gains that even after you back out those GM jobs that came back following the end of the strike, it was still very strong, above 200,000. So that's disappointing. I think one of the key things that is kind of a good news, bad news scenario is that wage growth pulled back was only up 2.9% year over year, which if you are focused on what you think the Fed is going to do and the broader market, that might be a good sign because it justifies the Fed's stance of keeping rates on hold. They don't need to be worried about inflation. By the same token, 2.9% wage growth is among the weakest year-over-year increase we've seen in over a year. So workers have less in their paychecks. And that's not really great news for the economy because you could see a pullback in consumer spending. I mean, and wage growth, you would anticipate it to be higher, just given the fact that we are already at uh, full employment. But just in terms of being at an unemployment rate of three and a half percent, how much room is there for this labor market to continue to expand as it has been doing? 
Yeah, it's a fantastic question, Zane. I think a lot of people are worried that because of how long this economic expansion has gone on, that you're going to see smaller increases in jobs growth become the norm over the next couple of months. The unemployment rate may not be able to go significantly lower than where it is now. You did see, interestingly, that the so-called underemployment rate fell to about 6.7%. That's a, you know, a notable sign because people that are working part-time that want to work full-time are being able to find more work. So that is encouraging. But you're right. I think it's going to be very difficult for the unemployment rate to drop significantly lower from these levels without sparking higher wage growth and inflation fears, and the number of jobs being added, I think, are going to slow. And then you look at some of the sectors, the oil sector, mining, they lost jobs in manufacturing. One of Trump's favorites to look at, they lost jobs as well, possibly, you know, a casualty of the trade war, even though their tensions are starting to ease with uh, China and other nations. And just looking ahead, Paul, to 2020 and beyond, what are the major risks to the U.S. labor market, do you think, on the horizon? Yeah, I think that right now the consumer has helped power the U.S. economy, and you might be starting to see some cracks if wage growth decelerates even further. That could be a potential uh, problem, I think. A lot of people are hoping that we will see maybe more jobs added in higher in wage industries, professional services, that that can boost uh, you know, consumer spending. So I'm going to definitely be focusing a lot on the wage growth numbers and the types of jobs that are added. All right, Paul and Monica, live for us there. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, Iran is analyzing the black spots data belonging to the Ukrainian jet, Thank which you. crashed near Tehran. It comes to a growing list of countries say they believe that Iran shot down the jet by mistake with two surface-to-air missiles. Iran says that is a big lie and accuses the U.S. of conducting a psychological operation. Richard Quest joins us live now. So, Richard, we know that there is going to be black box evaluation happening Friday. Just walk us through what is the key pieces of data, the key sort of concrete evidence that will prove to us categorically whether or not this plane was shot down or not. It won't come from the black boxes in that sense. The black boxes will show how the plane responded, what the plane did uh, after. The data probably comes to a complete halt afterwards. If it doesn't, if the plane is in extremist after the missile hit and it is starting to crash, then you'll see all sorts of parameters uh, being all over the place. No, the, the, the evidence of which will conclusively prove this to, to most people, will be the wreckage. And that is being bulldozed. It is being removed in an indiscriminate way. The crash site has not been secured. It's not been sterilised in the sense of only officials can go in there. If you look at the pictures, you've just got people wandering around. You've got scavengers, you've got trophy hunters, uh, all of which is highly dangerous, by the way, bearing in mind uh, the, the, the things that have been have fallen out of the sky. We've had no reports on how human remains are being treated with the dignity and reverence one would expect. Uh, I, we've known now about DNA requirements to identify those on board. Um, this is a, a... This is... Look at it. It's shambolic. 
the way this is being contained. Um, and some of, uh, Zane, some of the reports from Ukrainian investigators who are already there make shocking understanding reading when they talk about the bulldozing of, of the wreckage. So the crash site, as you say, clearly not secured, wreckage being removed indiscriminately. Iran, though, is saying these accusations that there was a surface-to-air missile that shot down this plane, they're saying it is a big lie. Based on the people that you've spoken to, Richard, what are they saying about whether or not there is faith that Iran can actually conduct a full, proper and fair investigation? Look, look, the Iranians have already put out a preliminary report. In that preliminary report, they said specifically there was no warnings, there had been no communications from the pilots. Yesterday, they're now starting to talk about the plane had problems and was turning back when it happened. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Assuming it's not uh, corrupted in one way or the other, the flight data recorders will show if there was an internal explosion in the engine. The data recorders will show if anything went wrong with the hydraulics or any of the controls. The cockpit voice recorder will tell you what the pilots were saying if there was something wrong with the aircraft. Remember, we've got a timeline from the video. The video shows us when the explosion happens. If you marry that up with the cockpit voice recorder, and you start to then see, well, what could have happened? So if the Iranians are right, and it was something on board the aircraft, then the flight data and cockpit voice will give evidence of that. However, if those recorders just stop recording at a certain point, and there's no further data coming from them, then you're left with an extraneous explosive event in other words, the missile. All right, we'll see what the black boxes hold. Richard Quest, live for us there in Beirut. Thank you so much. More trouble for Boeing now with another setback for the company's now infamous 737 MAX jet. Newly released documents showing Boeing employees expressing doubts about the plane's ability to fly. Claire Sebastian's joining us live now. So, Claire, what are we learning from these documents about how well, or rather, how poorly pilots believe that they were trained uh, to transition to the 737 MAX? Well, Zane, we're learning there were doubts and concerns within the company. We're also seeing uh, that there was a concerted effort from Boeing and, and Boeing employees to try to avoid having regulators mandate simulated training uh, for 737 MAX pilots who were already qualified on the older version of the 737. Now, this is a crucial element for Boeing when it came to selling and marketing this plane to airlines. They wanted to compete head-to-head -head with the A320neo, the, the Airbus uh, similar type of aircraft. And so they didn't want to have to mandate uh, simulated to training that would incur extra time and costs for the airline. So we see this appear in these emails. In one case, a, a technical pilot says they would go face to face with any regulator who tries to mandate the training. But it goes further than that, Zane. We're seeing concerns about the manual provided to pilots, in some cases, concerns about the plane itself. Take a look at uh, this particular email from April 2017, just a month before the first 737 MAX was delivered. And this uh, one Boeing employee says this airplane is designed by clowns who, in turn, are supervised by monkeys. There were also concerns not about not just about the plane, but about the simulators themselves designed uh, to, to, to sort of help pilots train. In one case, in February 2018, just 10 months before the first deadly crash on Lion Air, a Boeing employee says, would you put your family on a max simulator trained aircraft? I wouldn't. Uh, the Boeing employee he's talking to says, 
No. So this is very concerning, of course, to the flying public. As for Boeing, it has now reversed course on that simulator issue. Just this week, it said it would now recommend simulator training for 737 MAX pilots. And Zane, they put out a statement uh, to go with these documents, which they did release to the media, saying these communications do not reflect the company we are and need to be, and they are completely unacceptable. They continued. That said, we remain confident in the regulatory process for qualifying these simulators. It's not Boeing's confidence they need to worry about, though. It's the confidence of the flying public. And just in terms of how these documents uh, factor into the FAA investigation, Claire? Well, this is uh, an interesting one, Zane, because certainly for the FAA, they have released a statement. They had already seen these documents, don't forget. They said that they have reviewed them and they haven't uh, seen any new safety issues that they weren't already uh, aware of. So certainly it seems that, that everything that arises in these documents, the FAA ha- has, has gone through and said that it's not, it's not new. They've already uh, reviewed all of that. They did call the, the tone and, and content of these emails disappointing. But this, don't forget, is not just a black eye for Boeing. This is a problem for the FAA as well. In as much as it was Boeing's responsibility to make sure uh, the plane was safe and the training was correct, the FAA uh, had a responsibility to certify that as well. And this is something that is crucial to watch going forward as they work to get the 737 MAX back in the sky. The FAA has said it's evaluating its certification processes, but this will add renewed scrutiny to that, Zane. All right, Claire Sebastian, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, these are the stories making headlines around the world. The U.S. House has passed a war powers resolution aiming to restrict President Trump's actions against Iran. It now heads to the Senate. There is a debate among Republicans and Democrats whether the resolution is legally binding. And the Duchess of Sussex has returned to Canada after she and her husband, Prince Harry, said that they were stepping back as senior members of the royal family. Let's get the latest with uh, Max Foster. So, Max, this is unprecedented. I mean, what is going on? What is happening behind palace walls? Well, it's a family firm. They've got to find some way of resolving this or one of them needs to, you know, stand back even further. I think that's the issue. There are crisis talks taking place over the next few days. Hopefully, they say, uh, resolved by the beginning of next week. Uh, They're in a real rush to get this done. Effectively, what you've got is the three main households, so William's household, Charles's household and the Queen's household, sending their teams in to try to thrash this one out, try to find a way forward for the Sussexes. What they're talking about is trying to find a workable solution here, which is implicit, implicit into that, is that what the Sussexes have uh, presented as their future role isn't workable. So whatever they've put on that website that we were talking about yesterday, the detailed, um, you know, statistics and how they're going to work with the media, what their roles will be in future, that isn't going to remain intact if the couple want to stay in their royal role. So there's going to have to be some level of compromise here. The question then will be, will the couple compromise and edit the website or even take it down? Uh, They're not known for their compromise, so I think that's going to be difficult for them, particularly when they care so deeply about what they do. And they have been very upset and under a lot of pressure in recent months and years. So I think there's there's a big moment next week for the royal family. Can they get through this and keep the Sussexes within the fold? Just talk to us a bit more about the events that have led up to this moment. There have been so many conflicting reports about uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's relationship with the rest of the royals. I mean, what do we know for sure about what caused this? 
Well, there has been, I mean, I've seen tension between the brothers for some time. I think people have, you know, there's been a lot of speculation around that, but I don't think that's a big surprise, nor between the sons, perhaps, and their father sometimes. I think the big shock here has been the way that Prince Harry undermined his grandmother and his side aren't denying this, not saying much at all about this, but uh, certainly Buckingham Palace um, are very clear that the Queen wasn't consulted about all of this and she actively went out of her way to ask Prince Harry not to publish the statement and the website and he went ahead and did it. Uh, that's a big issue within the monarchy, uh, the palace, uh, it's very clear, it's a red line for them, but I think the wider public as well. Um, whilst there's a huge amount of admiration and goodwill for the Sussexes, uh, there is a red line when you're undermining the monarch, the head of state, who's very revered in this country. I will say, though, young people, very supportive of the Sussexes, what they're trying to do, stand up to the establishment and promote the causes very close to young people's hearts. So there's a bit of a divide between younger and older people, but I think there's definitely been some goodwill lost over the way they've treated the Queen. Max Foster, my for us, thank you so much. The Australian government is urging almost a quarter of a million people to evacuate their homes as bushfires continue to rage. American firefighters have been arriving in Australia to help fight the blazes, which have so far killed 27 people. All right, still to come here on First Move, is Impossible Pork good enough to convince a carnival? We put the latest innovation from Impossible Meats through the test. And RoboCats, flying cabs and artificial humans more highlights from the CES show in Las Vegas. All right, welcome back to First Move, coming to you live from New York. Let's take a quick check of the markets. U.S. futures are pointing to a modestly higher open uh, for stocks. Dow futures up there about 25 points or so after the release of that weaker than expected December jobs report. Stocks are still set to rise, though, to record highs this session. We know that 144 145,000 non-farm jobs were created in uh, the United States in December, about 20,000 fewer than expected. Unemployment rate remained steady at 3.5%. As we mentioned earlier, though, this could be another milestone day for the stock market. The Dow is close to crossing that all-important psychological 29,000 milestone for the first time ever, and that would put the Dow less than 4% away from the 30,000 mark. In the meantime, stocks are trading mostly flat in Europe today. Stocks finish mixed in Asia. Let's go straight now to uh, Sam Stovall, the chief investment strategist at CFRA Research. Sam, thank you so much for being with us. So uh, let's talk about jobs numbers coming in slightly less than expected. 145,000 jobs added in December. Um, How is the market going to digest that, do you think? Well, I think we got an idea that uh, when it was initially announced, we did see the Dow futures slip into negative territory because I think investors were expecting there to be a stronger than anticipated payroll report. Um, And when they got something that was weaker than anticipated, that just threw them for a loop. But I think the, uh, the numbers in total are still relatively positive because it implies an upward trajectory and the unemployment rate remained at three and a half percent. And we still expect record highs this session. We do anticipate the Dow at least crossing over the 29,000 uh, thresh mark. So when you, when you sort of look at this week for U.S. stocks, it's really been all about U.S. stocks breathing a sigh of relief after tensions in the Middle East just seem to sort of been walked back. Just walk us through that. 
Yes. Well, uh, on Friday, we got the news that uh, we had uh, launched the attack. Uh, we had killed the general and therefore it elevated tensions in the marketplace. We saw about a near 1% decline in stocks overall, which was actually fairly consistent with history, looking at 20 such military or terrorist actions since World War II, the market tended to fall about one and a half percent on that first day and then take about a five percent decline from the peak to the eventual trough, usually occurring more than 20 calendar days later. But we found that uh, actually the market reversed course fairly quickly and got back to a new record high only a couple of days after the event. So when you think about what the market is going to prioritize over the coming weeks, how important is geopolitical tensions versus what's happening with the economy and also corporate profits? Well, geopolitical tensions, I think, make for good headlines, but don't traditionally affect bottom lines. And that's what Wall Street focuses on. They do look for the economy. And what they when they assess uh, these terrorist or military actions, the first question they ask is, will this lead to global recession? Because stock markets, bull markets don't die of old age. They die of fright. And what they're most afraid of is recession. We start the uh, fourth quarter of 2019 earnings reporting period in earnest on Monday. And right now, uh, expectations are for a 2% decline. Uh, Yet in the last 31 consecutive quarters, we've had actual results exceed end of quarter estimates uh, and beat those estimates by about four percentage points. So when all is said and done, we might end up seeing earnings up 2% rather than down 2%. Right. So you're you're hopeful that... uh corporate profits will, be, will rebound in 2020 after a relatively lackluster 2019. Correct. Uh, The reason for the lackluster 2019, in my opinion, is that we had a much stronger than anticipated gain in 2018. The bar was set very, very high. In the beginning of 18, earnings were expected to rise by about 11.5%. And by the end of the year, they were actually up by twice that amount. So for 2020, uh, U.S. earnings were expected to be up about 8% developed international up about 10.5% and emerging markets likely to see about a 13% rise in earnings. So earnings season starting in earnest on Monday. Next week, we also have the U.S. and China signing phase one of the the U.S.-China trade deal. Um, How will that factor into market rationale? Is that already baked in, do you think? I think much much of it is already baked in. There's an old saying that prices lead fundamentals. And right now, prices are soaring uh, as earnings expectations, uh, GDP growth rates are pretty much stagnant. So I think investors are saying, OK, we know what the estimates are, but what if we're wrong? If we're wrong, do we underestimate or overestimate these uh, expectations? And right now, because of the trajectory of prices, I think Wall Street is essentially saying maybe we are underestimating how strong economic and earnings growth will be this year. And so when you look at when you sort of look at 2020 just from a bird's eye perspective, we know the Fed is planning to keep interest rates steady uh, for the year. But but what would it take? What is there on the horizon that might change that calculus, do you think? 
Well, I, I think that's a good question about inflation, Zane, because inflation is probably the one thing that could upset the apple cart. Uh, right now, we have a Federal Reserve that is in an easing mode. Historically, the market gains about 18 percent, 18 months after the start of a new rate reduction cycle. Uh, we don't see the Fed cutting any uh, rates anytime soon. Uh, but if we start to see the economy come in much stronger than anticipated, then I think investors will begin to worry that maybe the Fed will have to reverse course. So in some ways, you could say there was a silver lining to today's employment report because uh -huh. hourly earnings came in less than anticipated. And oh. that's a big push. All right, Sam, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Stay with CNN. The opening bell is after this quick break. Uh, that was the opening bell on this Friday. Uh, we are looking to see, we are watching with bated breath to see whether the Dow actually crosses that all-important 29,000 mark. We've got disappointing jobs numbers, though, and so that pulled Dow futures back ever so slightly. But we are very, very close to that all-important psychological high. We'll check back in in just a moment. Stocks were weakened, as I mentioned, because of uh, the U.S. jobs numbers coming in at 145,000, slightly less than expected. The unemployment rate is steady at a 50-year low at 3.5%. Time now for a look at our global movers. Shares of biotech firm Demira are on the rise today. Lily announced that it's buying up the company for more than a billion dollars. Demira uh, makes medications for skin disease. Before today's deal, the company's stock more than doubled in just one month. Grubhub is lower. The struggling food delivery company is denying reports that it's trying to find a buyer. Shares surged 12% on Wednesday on merger speculation. Some believed Walmart could be a potential buyer. Shares of amusement park company Six Flags are tumbling. The company is warning that fourth quarter results will come in weaker than expected because of problems with developing parks in China. Returning now to uh, one of our top stories today, Iranian investigators are examining the black boxes from a crashed Ukrainian jet. It comes as the U.S. provides Ukrainian government with what it calls all-important data about the tragedy. The U.S., Canada and the U.K. are standing by their claims that Iran fired two surface-to-air missiles, likely by accident. Iran is denying that. CNN safety analyst David Susi joins us live now. So, David, today is the day that Iran says that they're going to be evaluate, evaluating the all-important black boxes. What is going to be key in terms of piecing together what happened in this crash? Well, the key items right now that I'm concerned about, Zane, is just the chain of custody of these boxes. It appears as though uh, they've just done it themselves. Iran has just done it themselves. Typically with the black boxes, the chain of custody is, is coupled with at least two different entities. And I'm not aware of another entity that's there. For example, Boeing might be there or the NTSB or another investigative team would be there to assure the chain of custody. And the other thing I'm concerned about is their expertise in doing so. They've said that if if they can't get data off the box, that they would then en enlist other people to do it. The challenge is, what are they doing, trying? Are they trying to get the data off the box? That's not the way to go about this. It needs to go to a laboratory and be examined in detail in order to get the critical data that's necessary to, uh, to find out exactly what happened with this aircraft. Just in terms of 
you know, learning lessons from the past. It was, what, six years ago that we had MH17. Um, obviously, there were warnings by the U.S. in terms of U.S. aircraft, at least, not flying over Iranian airspace, given the tensions in that region. I mean, just walk us through what could have been done to prevent something like this from happening, if it is indeed, as we'll find out hopefully later today, uh, a surface-to-air missile. The difficult thing, Zane, is that not little or nothing has been done to inform civilians and passengers and let them know what they're walking themselves into. They go through security. The airplanes are examined. Everything's looked at. We put passengers in the safest airplanes in the world and then launch them directly into what could be a war zone without any information whatsoever. So these innocent victims need some way of understanding that. And even since MH17, the United Nations and I KO, the division that uh, oversees aviation, has come up with what they call a repository of information. But I've been looking for that myself all morning, and I have not been able to find where that repository is or where they would have been able to find information about this risk area. So given that um, Canada lost a significant number of souls on this plane, I believe it was 63. Obviously, France had casualties as well. What should be their role in this investigation? Uh, they should be actively involved in this ex- investigation. They have been invited to attend to send representatives. I know that one representative from the NTSB in the U.S. is en route to be there and examine the, the wreckage. Uh, but they should be involved in every step of the way, particularly uh, in that their, their military has information and the British military has information about the locking on of these missiles and the fact that the missiles were launched. So that is a critical piece of the information that they can provide to investigators to determine what exactly happened. When you have a situation where you're dealing with a war of words between Iran and the United States, the United States and Canada are pointing to this tour surface to MSL, two of them that that likely uh, brought down this plane. The Iranians are saying that's not true. They're calling it a big lie. They're saying that this is just psychological warfare by the United States. When you have that kind of situation, how how does the flying public get to the bottom of this? Uh, Facts speak as facts. And uh, speculation, you, you uh, as an investigator and really as anybody even observing this, we have to be cautious about falling into the web of deceit and, and speculation. And what I'm looking at are the facts of what's happening, the, the fact that we did see some, some evidence on the ground of the engines and the fact that they were on fire going, coming down led me at first towards possible engine failure, which doesn't typically take the aircraft down. But now at this phase, with the information that we have about the missile, uh, they're going to be pushing back. Everyone is emotional. They're heightened. No one wants to jump to any conclusions. So it's, it's irresponsible to say that the information about a missile is a lie. Uh, there's no reason to think it's a lie. It's coming from multiple different sources. I, I think that that's just a reactionary, uh, basically immature response to what is a horrific and catastrophic situation. And when you think about the fact that this crash site is clearly not secured and wreckage and remains are being removed indiscriminately, I mean, what do you, as somebody who has been in aviation for many years, make of that? Uh, you know, I've never done an accident investigation where there wasn't anarchy on the site. It, it's always that way. And people in good heartedness are there trying to help. Uh, but curiosity gets in the way. 
uh, you know, is there any reason to try to hide things? It makes people wonder about what's happening. That's one of the main reasons we secure sites is to make sure that there's no question down the road when the investigation report comes out that someone tried to hide something. And that again goes back to my my answer about the uh, black boxes. Uh, You can tell there's a lack of experience in this because it benefits Iran to have as many different entities there to observe and, and be transparent about the accident site. It would help them down the road. And it's just uh, a lack of experience, I think, in, in securing the site and making sure that it's pristine. I would not have moved those materials. I'm not there. I don't know. I have done that before in the past, though, had to take pieces off of a site uh, just to secure it from the general public when it can't be secured properly. So I don't know that they're doing that to hide anything. It might just be the way that they have to do it to do an accurate investigation. I see. All right, David Susie, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, still to come here on First Move, gay and lesbian campaigners praise Alibaba for an advert recognizing same-sex couples. It could be a first for a major Chinese company. That's next. The December jobs numbers, uh, as we've been saying, came in below expectations, with the U.S. economy adding just 145,000 jobs. Wage growth also disappointed, coming in at about 2.9 percent year over year. That's despite unemployment remaining at 50-year lows uh, at 3.5 percent. Joining me live now is Mike Faroli, chief U.S. economist at J.P. Morgan. Thank you so much for being with us. So just give us your take on these numbers, we had uh, been expecting some kind of deceleration in December, just given how strong November's numbers were. But just walk us through your thoughts on uh, 145,000. So I wouldn't get too hung up on the slight miss in the December payroll job growth number. Uh, There may have been some seasonal distortions. As you mentioned, it came after a very strong November. I think probably the wise thing here is to look at like the three-month average, which is 184,000 jobs uh, per month in the fourth quarter which is uh, a very solid outcome. So that is all, uh, uh, you know, nothing to complain about there. But as you mentioned, the, uh, the wage numbers uh, disappointing. Again, you shouldn't make too much of, uh, of one month, but when you look at the year ago numbers, which obviously takes account of the whole year or 12 months, uh, you know, that has slowed to 2.9% uh, on a year ago basis. That's down from 3.4% earlier last year. So it's a bit, uh, bit surprising that we're seeing the slowdown in wages, particularly because as you mentioned, uh, the unemployment rate is uh, is low and remains low. 3.5% is, you know, multi-decade low. So uh, the fact that wage growth has been slowing, again, is the uh, the aspect of the report that I would um, uh, is a little more concerning than than the slight miss on the headline job growth number. Right. So 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 why is that? I mean, why is it that when you have a labor market that's this tight, we're still seeing disappointing numbers concerning wage growth? Where does that come from? So I don't think the, uh, the mystery here is that wage growth is low. I think the mystery is that it's been decelerating over the course of last year. I think the low wage growth uh, in this expansion in general has been in part due to the fact that productivity growth uh, over the past decade has been uh, quite soft. And in the long run, it is productivity growth that drives uh, real wage growth. Uh, so I think that explains why wage growth in general has been soft or softer than we might have expected in in previous decades. I think, as I mentioned, the, uh, the, the more curious aspect is that it slowed over the course of 2019, and 2019 was a year in which the unemployment rate remained, uh, was not only low, but, but declined over the course of the year. I suppose one explanation is simply that employers uh, 
you know, certainly showed some caution uh, in the second half of the year. There were fears, as you may recall, well in the third quarter about uh, the economy maybe slowing into recession. Uh, we certainly had uh, concerns about the trade wars. We had uh, some financial indicators flashing recession risk. And so that may have caused uh, employers to be a little more hesitant to uh, to hand out uh, wage increases. But uh, if we just looked at the numbers uh, in terms of the tightness of the labor market, it's not the uh, the relatively low lab- uh, level of wage growth, but the, the, the slowing uh, in the course of 2019, that was a bit of a, uh, uh, a bit of a surprise. Concern. So looking at the long term view, but employers, as you say, might have been apprehensive. But uh, just given the tightness already in the labor market, three and a half percent unemployment rate, how much room is there for this labor market to continue to expand? Well, you know, I think uh, this has been one of the interesting things about this expansion is that we continue to lower uh, our estimate of what a normal level of unemployment rate uh, is. Uh, So if at 3.5 percent, we're not seeing um, uh, wage growth numbers that would suggest inflation worries, then then there's no reason to, to slow slow things down from the Fed's perspective. We can let this run. Obviously, it's going to be harder to find more workers, uh, but, you know, there's no reason uh, we can't get, you know, lower than 3.5 percent. It certainly has happened in the past. And with little sign of uh, inflation, uh, I don't think there's a reason why um, why we should expect, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve to kind of want to cool things off in terms of uh, of the job market. All right. I admire your optimism. Mike Feroli, life for us there. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Sure. All right. Here's today's uh, boardroom brief. Facebook made some changes to its political ads policy, but will continue to exempt them from the fact-checking standards used for other content. The tweak allows users to turn off certain ad targeting tools, but does not prevent political ads from spreading lies. Amazon's home security company Ring has fired four employees for spying on customer videos. The company said the employees use their access to a degree not required by their jobs. The company is also currently under scrutiny for external hacks into its system. And Apple stock rose to a record high after iPhone sales in China jumped 18% in December compared to a year earlier. The company had previously warned of a slowdown in the country. And staying in China, a subtle new advert is making waves for appearing to depict a gay relationship. The ad released by Alibaba-owned Tmall going viral after it was posted on Chinese social media giant Weibo. Stephen Zhang joins us live now from Beijing. So just walk us through uh, this ad and what's in it, because it's sort of, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. It sort of intimates at a same-sex relationship. Um, But what has been the reaction there in Beijing? That's right, Zane. It looks innocuous enough for most Western eyes. It shows a young man bringing his partner home, but only introducing him to his parents as Kelvin. Only at dinner, when the dad hands over Kelvin a bowl of soup, he responds uh, by saying, thanks, dad, creating this awkward moment of surprise. So it's very subtle, but also kind of humorous. Uh, but, you know, you have to consider the context of this. That is, uh, even though homosexuality is not legal in China, uh, government, uh, there is a lot of discrimination 
discrimination and prejudice, uh, prejudices that this community continues to face from both the government and society, according to experts and activists. And since 2016, Chinese censors have banned all LGBT content in television and online shows. So it's this kind of environment that makes this ad very rare and refreshing. It really, uh, you know, it's been viewed millions of times, uh, attracting hundreds of thousands of likes and uh, prompting mostly uh, positive comments, uh, praising the company for recognizing the gay community and raising its visibility. Now, it's worth pointing out, it's not the first time that Alibaba has shown its subtle support for the gay community. A few years ago, another subsidiary actually sponsored a uh, contact with a gay dating app to send gay Chinese couples to the U.S. to get married. But, you know, some analysts would also tell you it may be a wise business decision on Alibaba's part because online shoppers obviously tend to be younger, more open-minded, progressive, so they would appreciate this message of inclusion. But, um, you know, still, when we ask the company about this, they would not even acknowledge uh, the gay subplot at all, saying only that the context, uh, the context of this ad is Chinese New Year celebrations. It's a time for family reunion and inclusion, and this ad is meant to celebrate that. Still, so a long way to go uh, when you think about the company that's generating so much positive comments wouldn't even acknowledge the fact that they have featured a gay couple in their ad. Zane? That, that, is, that is certainly very, uh, very interesting, um, the fact that they wouldn't even acknowledge it, but yet they put it out there. Uh, Stephen Jiang, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, China is in the grip of a pork shortage. One company thinks it has the answer, and it has nothing to do with pigs. We are at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas after the break. Welcome back, everybody. Let's take a look and see how the Dow is doing right now. We had been anticipating uh, 29,000, another record high for the Dow. We are currently just shy of that, 30 points or so, just shy of that, partly because of the disappointing jobs numbers we got. Jobs numbers uh, in December actually coming in uh, lower than expected, 145,000 jobs added in December compared to 164,000 jobs had been anticipated Wage growth also slightly disappointing as well. All right, this week has been has seen the latest in gadgets unveiled at the Consumer Electronics Show. Samantha Kelly joins us live now. So Sam, just walk us through what the highlights were specifically with Samsung, because I know that they actually came out with the world's largest television ever. But there are some issues with it. Walk us through it. Yeah, sure. Um, so Samsung, you know, when you think about Apple and Amazon, they tend to have their own keynotes and host their own events throughout the year. Samsung always has a very big presence at CES and, of course, did so this year as well. So let's talk about the big TV. So it's 292 inches, which is really, really big. When you think about big TVs these days, it's 70, 80 inches. This is three times the size of that. Uh, of course, it's not going to fit in most homes. It's not going to fit in most doorways. And I don't even want to think about the electric bill. Uh, but then when you think about sort of how it looks in person, I mean, it is just stunning 8K TV. Uh, basically, it's a modular set. So Samsung will come to your home, a bunch of different panels go together. You can go up to 292 inches. So this is all about customizing uh, and making it more options for consumers. Uh, but it wasn't the only TV that got a lot of buzz at the show this year. Uh, there was also a TV, which you can see right here, uh, horizontal traditional TV that turns vertically. If you 
want to watch social videos, YouTube, something on Instagram or Facebook, uh, or or even watch something in the way that you originally intended it to be viewed. Uh, a little bit of gimmicky there. I'm not quite sure uh, how many people will be actually buy it. And of course, with con- you know traditional computer monitors, you can kind of always turn it that way. Uh, but it certainly got a lot of buzz. And also, uh, impossible pork making headlines at at CES. I understand that you actually got a chance to cook one up. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, So uh, Impossible Foods have, you know, long in the U.S. been about a burger alternative. And now they're expanding into pork, which is consumed uh, more than any other meat internationally. So looking to expand the the market there. So I got to try it. And, uh, you know, it was great. It was it tasted just like pork. I have to say it was in a sandwich and in little dumplings. So, of course, I was tasting, you know, same thing with like a burger. You taste the the bun around it. I'm not quite sure what like a slice of it would taste like. Uh, But for what it was, um, it was pretty. It was pretty good. So this is a part of a bigger strategy. Uh, what's really interesting is they said that with their competitor, or at least you know market competitor beyond me, that the he was. Um, I spoke to the CEO Pat Brown a little bit about this. He was very passionate that they aren't direct competitors and that the main competitors are meat manufacturers out there. Uh, part of their global effort to make more people stop eating meat. And uh, Ivanka Trump, U.S. President's daughter. Uh, gave a reception, gave a speech rather at uh, CES this year. And and it was quite controversial because even though people had been pushing for more women to take on this role, she wasn't necessarily the candidate that people had been expecting. Exactly. So in 2017 and 2018, CES didn't have any uh, female uh, speakers during their keynote presentations. At the very last minute last year, they added two uh, women panelists uh, to their keynotes. Uh, but this created a lot of attention. And so this year, um, everybody, you know, was kind of anticipating what, uh, you know, female CEO or entrepreneur was going to take the stage. And just a few weeks ago, they announced that Ivanka Trump was going to uh, fill fill a spot um, during a keynote. And this created, um, you know, some tension in the industry, people saying uh, perhaps it should have been somebody else. But her her points um, weren't contended. It was more of just her presence. Right. Uh, Sam Kelly, thank you so much for walking us through those highlights. Appreciate it. And that is it. But first move, I'm Zane Asher. Listen to our podcast on CNN.com slash podcast. Connect the world is after the short break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode. 